After King Hezekiah's reign, he was a good king, suddenly the southern nation of Judah in ancient history experiences a string of evil kings. And the Bible tells us about it because the Bible's not propaganda. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is, of course, Bible Discovery TV. We go through the Bible every year, Genesis to Revelation. It's exciting. And helping us is Corey and Ryan. Corey. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and the death of King Josiah. Ryan. Today, my segment's all about Hezekiah's tunnel. And fun fact, did you know that it's considered one of the greatest works of water engineering technology from the pre-classical period? Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, very interesting. Okay, Janice, go ahead. It's our Fun Friday wrap-up question of the week. And I'm going to ask it anywhere from 2 Chronicles chapter 6 through to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And there's a lot of information in there. Second Chronicles 35, verses 1 through 6. Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the fourteenth day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. Then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the fathers' houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the fathers' house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 1 through 6. Second Chronicles 33 to 36, that's what we read today as we go through the Bible. The 32nd time this year is amazing. After King Hezekiah's reign, well, Judah experienced a string of evil kings. You see, it was Hezekiah's son Manasseh who came to power when he was 12 years old. Now, the Bible outlines the evil that King Manasseh did. Eventually, Manasseh was humbled and corrected. But unfortunately, the damage of his 55 years in power was done. Manasseh's son Ammon was also very evil. His reign was cut short at only two years when his murder happened because of his people. <laughs> they got sick of him. Well, this was a violent time in ancient Judah. The Bible talks about how the temple of God was prostituted by people and how they worshipped Baal, false gods, and engaged in all kinds of evil. Now, Ammon's son, Josiah, 
was very young when he came to power, and he managed to develop a remarkable into a remarkable king. Now, what made the difference was that Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as a result of this, he began to clean up the temple. And during this cleanup, the book of the law of God was found and it was read to him. And Josiah knew that he must return the nation to God. This is absolutely fascinating. Beloved, as we read the Bible, I want to tell you, get your Bible guide out. If you don't have one, you can write to us or call us. We'll send you one. Another way to do this is you're seconds away from joining us, coming back to God. You're seconds away from that by simply going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the page and it will take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations very much. We appreciate that. Then it'll take you to a PDF file and you can download it just as we printed it. Very, very exciting. But we need to focus on this because coming back to God from Judah's point of view was very difficult. Second Chronicles 35, one to six. So let's pray today. Father, uh, we, we need to read from your Bible into our hearts. We don't need to read your Bible to support what we believe in our hearts. We need your word to change our hearts. Very important. Help us, Lord. And as we seek your face, and as we come to you, we pray that we would hear you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, it's important to remember the scripture. This is the word of God, and this is the history of Israel. So let's read it carefully. And here we go. Second Chronicles chapter 35. It gets interesting. Watch this. Now, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. You got to be kidding me. They kept a Passover. You know, that's what they did. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priest in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. Now, after 57 years, that's stunning. Josiah restored the worship of Passover. The Lord changes us when we follow him. Not immediately, but he does change us. Now, remember this. For many years, almost 60 years, they had not done this kind of thing. They had worshipped the Baals. They have done other things. But suddenly this king emerges, this Josiah. And he hears this from the book of the law. And he says, we've got to do this. And he becomes adamant about it. So he hires the priest and he hires everybody. And he says, we need to worship again. So let's get this together. And that's what he did. He got them together and they began to worship God again. What a stunning development. Now think about where you were 60 years ago, 1950. Now the question is, 50 or 60 years later, where are we? So that's a really good question to ask yourself. But Josiah sought the Lord in the midst of all the evil. There was evil like you wouldn't believe. And Josiah made the decision and he sought the Lord. Second Chronicles 35, 3 and 4. Then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, the Levites. He said, put the holy ark in the house, which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. Now that's interesting. Okay, but we'll talk about this another time. 
It shall no longer be a burden to your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, the king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. This is absolutely stunning. See, Josiah tells the Levites to pay attention to the written law as they begin. Pay attention to the word of God. God's word is critical for us to know and to follow. Beloved, there's a lot of people today who are worshiping God as they feel. We can't do that because if we worship God as we feel, our feelings will change. But beloved, God's word never changes. It's the same. I remember when I was in Israel and I looked at the Isaiah scroll uh, from the Dead Sea Scrolls and I took a Hebrew Bible and I compared the words and they were the same. After 2,000 years, can you believe that? God's word doesn't change. And as we take instructions from God's word, and it is very emotional, very, uh, really in many ways, very moving, then we learn to worship God as God designed it to be, not as we feel or what we want to do with smoke machines or lights or whatever. And we can use that material, but we have to be careful that we follow the word of God. Very important. All right, let's go to the next scripture. A couple of verses here. It says, and we stand and stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren and lay people. In other words, according to the divisions of your father's houses and the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves and prepare them for your brethren that they may do according to the word of God or the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now this brings me to the third point. Josiah told the people that the word of God was critical for them to obey. Okay, this is really important. The Bible is our book of life. The Bible is our book of life. I know a lot of people who quote the Bible and say, well, they're not doing according to the Bible, but are the people who are saying that doing according to the Bible? That's a good question, isn't it? We need to stop looking at everybody else and start looking at ourselves and start saying, Lord, Help me to learn what your Holy Spirit is saying. Help me to change my life. Help me to move my life in the direction that you've called me to. Help me to return myself to the word of God. I'm going to begin to read it. And as I begin to read it, we need to hear it. We need to hear what it says to us. And this is what we pray today, Lord. Teach us to do the Bible in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, Amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
It's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today my segment is all about King Hezekiah's tunnel. Now, as we read yesterday, Hezekiah faced some major challenges, not the least of which was an Assyrian threat. And this is what led him to construct this now famous water tunnel, which still exists to this day. And what's cool is that it's considered to be one of the two greatest works of water engineering technology from the pre-classical period. Check it out. Water. It is absolutely essential for the survival of any city. Whether modern or ancient, cut off the water supply and the city's days are numbered. In fact, this was one of the threats the Jewish king Hezekiah was facing in 701 BC when the infamous Assyrian king Sennacherib had the city of Jerusalem completely surrounded. But Hezekiah devised a clever plan to turn the tables on the Assyrians. The Bible in 2 Chronicles 32 records the scene. So when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the spring, which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? But Hezekiah was not done. Yes, he had successfully cut off the enemy's water supply, but now he had to ensure that his own people had an internal and reliable source of water. So he made a pool and a tunnel connecting to the Gihon Spring, Jerusalem's only natural spring and the very place where Solomon had been anointed king. Its name, Gihon, means gushing, which is appropriate since it surges and the sound can easily be heard. It is estimated that this spring could have supported a population of about 2,500. As for the tunnel itself, it follows an S-shape and stretches 1,750 feet, or one-third of a mile, under Jerusalem, from the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam. The passage is mostly less than three feet wide, and in a few places, less than five feet in height. Like the Elapinos Tunnel in Greece, Hezekiah's tunnel was also excavated from both sides, but followed a windy path instead, perhaps led by a natural crack in the rock, and met in the middle. For these technological achievements, both Hezekiah's tunnel and the Elapinos tunnel are considered the greatest works of water engineering technology in the pre-classical period. Significantly, an inscription left by the workers was discovered in 1880 and reveals how the tunnel was chiseled out of the rock. And this is the account of the tunneling through, it reads. While the workmen raised the pick, each toward his fellow, and while there remained to be tunneled through, there was heard the voice of the man calling to his fellow for there was a split in the rock on the right hand and on the left hand. And on the day of the tunneling through, the workmen stuck, each in the direction of his fellow, pick against pick. And the water started flowing from the source to the pool, 1,200 cubits. And the height of the rock above the head of the workmen was 100 cubits. So as I mentioned in the segment, both Hezekiah's tunnel as well as the Apollonos tunnel on Samos Island are considered to be the greatest works of water engineering technology in the pre-classical period. And if you've never heard of the Apollonos tunnel, then I really recommend getting a hold of the documentary I did on ancient technology called 30 Out of Place Artifacts, where I go into some detail in that tunnel as well as many other important ancient artifacts. But in regard to today's segment, the discovery of Hezekiah's tunnel and the inscription found within it demonstrates the historical accuracy of the Bible. 
These were real people, real events, real history. The writing, as the Bible says, is on the wall. And it's really interesting because when you look at the tunnel, and I've seen pictures of it, I've been to Israel many times, and I've never been to the tunnel, probably walked over it many times. But anyway, uh, I, I didn't go through it, but they, they tell me, and they took pictures. When you look at these inscriptions and these etchings, and those etchings are like 2,600 years old, 2,700 years old. Yeah, and it's not there anymore. It's been removed to the museum, but there is yeah. a replica that's there right now. And what's interesting yeah. to mm -hmm. me is that they carved it in stone, mm -hmm. uh, but 2,700 years ago? Are you mm -hmm. serious? And what's also really cool is that researchers now, because of the location of the inscription, they don't think that it was an official, an official inscription that Hezekiah commissioned because it's so far back into the tunnel, no one would ever see it. So they actually, uh, some scholars believe that it was the workmen themselves who incised it for themselves. So it was kind of, it was a memorial to their work and, and, and that Hezekiah had commissioned them, uh, something that you would only know about if you were one of the workmen because it was such, uh, you know, a, a, a difficult task for them to do. So just, mm -hmm. just fun. So these workmen from 2,700 years ago, mm -hmm. they etched it in. <laughs> in yeah, the, someone did. In rock, yeah. you know? And there it is today. That That's amazing because uh, th that's just fascinating to me. Anyway, I'm fascinated by that. Okay, Corey, go ahead. All right, well, today I'm going to be taking a look at the city and the plain of Megiddo because we're told in Second Chronicles chapter 35 that King Josiah marches out to meet uh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt who is going out. He's trying to help uh, the, the last remaining Assyrian forces stand against the Babylonian forces that, that are moving over and, and really taking over the Assyrian Empire in the ancient world of that time. Uh, but Josiah kind of gets in the way of this and he wants to, to fight Pharaoh Necho to, to stop this from happening. Uh, and of course, Josiah ends up dying in this battle. He disguises himself and he gets shot, ironically dying very in a very similar manner to one of Israel's most evil kings. Uh, but you'll have to go back into your biblical history and look up who I'm talking about. But let's focus in on this area where Josiah died. Let's take a look at the city of Megiddo. The ancient city of Megiddo strategically sits in the Jezreel Valley that runs right across the land of Israel, connecting the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Jordan River in the east, a giant natural highway. It also intersects with several major north-south trade routes, so historically, whoever controlled Megiddo could exert widespread power over the trade, economy, and warfare of the land. Famously, Pharaoh of Egypt, Tutmose III, said that capturing Megiddo is as good as capturing a thousand cities. From all the levels of destruction and occupation at the city, it's clear that many other leaders felt the same. In fact, the reason that Megiddo is such a large hill today is due to the city being destroyed and rebuilt so many times. The newer levels were built right on top of the destroyed or aging layers. From what archaeologists can reconstruct, Megiddo was under Egyptian control until some point during the biblical time period of the Judges. The city either came under Israelite control at that point or with the rise of King David, because by the time King Solomon came to the throne, Megiddo was one of his building projects. He fortified the city's walls and installed one of his famous six-chambered gates. 
After the kingdom of Israel split under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the fate of Megiddo was to be conquered and reconquered by nations vying for control. But there is one incident that stands out, the death of King Josiah. The once dominant nation of Assyria was desperate in its fight against Babylon. Her ally, Egypt, marched to her aid through Judah, but Josiah decided to stand in the way. At Megiddo, Josiah was killed in battle, the last king in the line of David who had risen to the throne without foreign intervention lost his life at this pivotal city. Biblical prophecy says that one day the Davidic Messiah will win another battle here and usher back the days of David's throne. So there we go, the the ancient city of Megiddo. And like many things, I'm going to have to update this segment pretty soon because there's been, you know, there's there's just so much information to, to pack into. You know, Megiddo is a very excavated place. So there's just so much information. It is hard to choose when you're looking at a two minute, three minute segment. It's hard to choose the information to pack in there because there is so much. So going to have to do a part two soon, uh, but really fun. Lots of stuff. You always, <laughs> you know, you're always updating things because they, they do discover uh, you know, they discover something one year and then the next year they discover something else. Yeah. And well, and, and I'm also always learning as well, learning yeah. how it interacts with other areas of biblical history. And because there's so much biblical history, there's many different layers, many different times that are represented in the Bible. So when you're doing a segment on a city, you kind of have to choose a time that you're going to focus on. Yeah. So, but even so, <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah. You're learning, but at the same time, they're learning. Because the yeah. archaeologists are learning, they discover things and they say, mm -hmm. well, you know, because there was a, the best example of this is Jericho. Uh, Kathleen Kenyon, a famous archaeologist, decided mm -hmm. and said that Jericho, you know, the biblical uh, renditioning, renditioning of Jericho was wrong simply because uh, nobody could destroy it. it. It was already destroyed at that time. Right. Based on the dating of the destruction. The, yep. The problem is the dating was wrong. And right. it's confirmed. Well, it's it's contested. It's contested. So so when you're looking at archaeological history, you there there will be arguments that are put forward because we weren't there, so we don't know. We we can't just say with 100% certainty, yes, this is it. But you're dealing with probabilities when you're looking at history and when you're looking at archaeology. So you have to inform yourself of both sides of the arguments. And I would agree with you. There is a very strong case that the original dating of the destruction of Jericho was faulty, was wrong. And when, when we talk about this, we, we talk about making the case because as you say, nobody was there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like creation. Nobody was there. So, mm -hmm. but we have to read from what the Bible says. And if we trust the Bible as the word of God, then that makes the case good for us. But we have to, when we present yeah. it, we have to say, well, our case is we believe there's enough evidence. Yeah, that because I that's this. that's one of the really cool things about both Judaism and Christianity, it, because we both, you know, rely on the Bible, uh, is that we don't just have to say, well, the Bible said it, so that's the way it happened. We we have reason, we have evidence that informs our belief, and the reason is because Christianity and Judaism's premise is that history happened, and now here's the interpretation of that history. So, you know, people will debate us over the interpretation of the history. What does that history mean about God and about mankind? Uh, but we can look at the history and go, no, this really happened. Look, here's the here's really good evidence to show you that this happened. Now, that doesn't take away any doubt 
the doubts based off of, well, then what does that mean that it happened? But it gets us a step farther in the conversation. Yeah, it's really, really good, really interesting. And uh, so thank you for these segments, mm -hmm. guys. I really appreciate them. Janice, mm -hmm. these, these people, they do good segments. They do very good segments. And they're things that, that we wouldn't necessarily even know how to begin to study those things. Exactly. And exactly. so we're very thankful. Corey, what did you do on the weekend? Be quick about it because oh. we didn't get to the questions. <laughs> sure. Every weekend on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko, my husband and I post a chapter by chapter recap to get you caught up on your weekly Bible reading if you've fallen behind. So check it out. Yeah, check, check it out. And in the meantime, Check this out. This is a good question. And we have many viewers that do. Um, I hear through the mm -hmm. mail and through different things that they Greg uh, is somebody along. who is down in, uh, in the Carolinas, and he always tells me, yeah, I got the question mm -hmm. right. We watch hockey together. But anyway, go ahead. And we have many others who really enjoy the Friday, Friday <laughs> wrap-up question. So here it is. Who made herself queen after the death of her son? Who made herself queen after the death of her son. Easy no one. giving away with eyes or arm motions. We have to let this go. Number one, was that Jezebel? Number two, was that Athaliah? Number three, was that Zibia? Who do you think that was? This, queen, this woman made herself queen after the death of her son, who was the king. What say you? And now let's hear what Ryan and Corey have to say. Mm -hmm. We are take? very confident. Yes, we are. We're going to go with Athaliah. And if you went with Ryan and Corey, you made a good decision because they're absolutely right. It was Athaliah. It's quite the story. Uh, and we've already gone through it. If you're a regular viewer or a reader of the Bible, you can check me out. Second Chronicles chapter 23, verses 12 and 13. Tell us that. Um, and also for a direct correlation to exactly how she made herself queen, you can find that in Second Kings chapter 11, Verses 1 and 3. Congratulations to those who got it right. And if you got it wrong, that's okay. Next Friday, there'll be another one. Again, I'd like to remind you at the end of the program that we are live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30 New York time or Eastern time. And uh, we'd love to pray for you. This is our prayer meeting and we just pray for your needs. So please join us and see what's going on. We'd love to have you there. Today, let's pray. Father, help us to read your word. Help us to read your Bible. And Holy Spirit, teach me to understand what you have said to us. In Jesus' name.